Welcome to the official Legion United podcast, everybody. I'm joined, as ever, by the wonderful Michael Bridges, who has brought a friend of his along this week, who we'll be chatting to very, very shortly. Well, that sounds ominous, doesn't it? Um, but <laughs> until then, Bristol City, um, two wins in two. Our, our first back-to-back wins, I think, since like last <laughs> November or something, since that Bournemouth-Liverpool. You're struggling uh, to spit that out there, uh, weren't you? This is incredible. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't still know in disbelief. To, I don't know what to do with myself. We've won two. We've won two games in a row, Bridgie. What, what do you yeah, make of class, that? Yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing, buzzing because um, there's nothing worse going into national break. Uh, when you haven't got the points on the board and the games came thick and fast. Yeah. So to get the to get the the results, yeah. the six points. And what I loved about Daniel Farker, he loves he gets it. He gets Ellen Road. He gets the fans. He keeps saying it's our living room, it's our fortress. And by God does he instill that in the players because they've gone out, they're performing and yeah man, just absolutely Brilliant results. And what that does, the players can go away now with the bragging rights, they go away to the clubs. It's a good time for them to freshen up because there's less um, training emphasis on on um, fitness. It's more to learn the system that you're playing for the international. Some of the lads won't get game time and, yeah, you couldn't go into that better. So I'm really, really happy, mate. Really happy. It was another um, kind of unusual, uh, well, result, I should say, because the game, actually, we were in full control from start to finish and you know when i looked at it i thought it should have been about 4-0 yeah. um on the on you know on the face of the chances created and the quality yeah. of the chances created but you know it's Leeds united and we don't do anything yeah. easy do we so we on the face of it scraped over the line 2-1 but that's not actually really a fair reflection of the game i thought Leeds united were very very good watching the watford game scratching my head how we're not leading you know what i mean yeah. going, hit the back of the net yeah um but at the end like i say it doesn't matter yeah. how you win you can be champagne football, as he called it previously on um, after his post-match interview. It can be scrappy wins in the championship. I don't care. We do not care. I've been there. It can be as ugly as you like. It can be as fantastic as you like. Um, and you can get hurt. You can get beat when you when you perform like champagne football in the championship. We've managed to get six points. That is all that matters. Yeah. We're up to fifth and um, absolutely awesome. Teams are looking over the shoulder, which is good. That's what we want. Uh, so, Bridget, do you want to... Uh... Do you want to get your pal on then? Yeah, without further ado, Matt, let's get Dave Hancock on the man. That is the Mr. Magic Fingers, the magic man, the best physio I have ever had in my <laughs> career. Welcome to the podcast, Dave Hancock. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Matt. Nice to be here. Reminisce. Well, that's what I'm looking forward to the Reminisce. most. Uh, just as a few... Few stories, Dave, that we can talk about, and there's a few that we're just going to let fly under the carpet for another podcast where there's not many kids listening to this. All right, this is this is a bit more. We can get in depth on some of them. You can tell me, and then we'll just we'll we'll cut it out. I promise. <laughs> sounds good. Is that the ones about Michael? Yeah, <laughs> correct. Yeah. Okay. This is before, the gym. <laughs> nothing's off the table with Bridgie. Anything you want to say well, about Bridgie? Did you know his Absolutely. nickname was called the Germ? <laughs> <laughs> no. I think I would just leave it at that. Yeah, oh, hey Matt. He's, he's to be fair. I, I I always had some form of illness or injury, and the lads just decided right. that instead of having a, a a crap player of the week yellow jersey award, they actually got a number eight printed on a yellow jersey, and just called it the germ. You've had a space. You've had a shocker. So um, that's where that came from. So there was a yeah. Thanks for that, Dave. Top man. Great start. Am I, am I going to be invited back? Absolutely. Uh, we're just going to cut this podcast. 
short. <laughs> okay, well, obviously, um, most people um, involved with Leeds United um, that have been fans for a while will know exactly who you are, and Bridgie's mentioned you countless times on the show. But um, for some of our younger listeners and maybe some of our more recent fans, do you want to sort of uh, explain uh, your role um, at the club and then and then where you are now? Yeah, so I got asked to join Leeds in 2000 um, when the team were obviously on the up. I previously worked at Wolves and Blackburn Rovers Academy and I got recommended to David O'Leary um, by a colleague of mine, Dave Fever, who was the physio at Manchester United, believe it or not, uh, but worked with me at Blackburn. And that era just before the sort of Champions League run, the team had some horrendous injuries. Uh, David Batty had ruptured his Achilles. Michael was out. Harry Kuehl was out. They, I think it was like nine or ten players that were in the treatment room when I walked through the door. Um, and I was really young. I was, uh, I think I was 27 or 28 as being a head physio, which is obviously quite young in the Premier League at that time. And... Uh, I just came in and sort of looked and analysed and then inherited some really good staff. Um, Alan Sutton, who obviously a lot of the listeners will know, was an absolute legend at the club and it was a great person for me to inherit and have on board. And Mark Nile, who'd previously been at Middlesbrough. Um, Clive was the massage therapist who'd been in the military. He was also very good. And so I inherited some good people and then I brought some good people on. So I brought Steve Kemp, who's now the England physio, was our academy physio. Tim Williamson, oh, wow. uh, who's now the head physio at Glasgow Celtic, was with us at the academy. And Harvey Sharman, who um, was my assistant, uh, basically now is the vice president of uh, medical performance at the Washington Nationals baseball team in America. So Harvey took over from me um, when I left to go from Leeds to Chelsea. So... I was at the club from 2000 to 2007 uh, or 2006 um, and went through all the Champions League runs, went through all the financial crisis. I designed Thorpe Arch, which was probably my big legacy. I actually designed the whole of that building. Well, we're going to talk about that because there's a few flaws in that. (laughs) Was that when your builders from the northeast came down to uh, do a couple of jobs on the cheap? (laughs) <laughs> I, I've got to say that Thorpe Arch design right that when I got there there was nothing Dave Dave obviously came in and you know ahead of the game he designed I remember saying to him I said what are them plans there and he went I'm designing the new Thorpe Arch facility bridge and I was like wow this guy is anything he can't do now I've never ever known a physio be able to design a training ground where the manager's office is at the other end and the physio get the central the centre biggest area <laughs> of the facility facility in the in the club and Dave's got access to the main room and not only that the bloody spiral staircase that you put in that I had to hobble up every single day there was no lift or anything that was a that was a flaw as well but apart from that it was a magnificent facility there you go that was to get you back on your feet yeah my heart bled for you every day watching you go up and down that stairs Bridgie actually I used to make you go down in the ice room just to actually get more exercise through your legs <laughs> so and where were you training before that then if if, if Thorpatch came about from, from your, your brainchild where, where was it all happening before? so I actually was fortunate at Blackburn I did I, I got involved in the design of Blackburn Rovers uh, Academy building and then that's now where the first team trained so I, I, I started doing some design stuff and I I was very interested in sport and I went to America a lot and looked at facilities and the way that the Americans did it I went to Roma 
I did all sorts of things of sort of going and seeing what other sports were doing um, and sort of got these opportunities at the clubs that I work with. And the same like at Chelsea, like there's some areas at the new training facility at Chelsea that I was able to sort of put some ideas and, and function around. So that's um, when they, when they, obviously they were spending money and probably too much money. <laughs> the, the, the chairman uh, came to me and said, look, I think we need to have a new training facility to attract top players. And uh, could you, we know you did Blackburn, could you help us with this? And I, I, I literally, I went, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, how, what do you want? And the, 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 the view was we want the best. I was quite proud of that because uh, there's some great, like even the swimming pool. Ugh, bad memories of that thing. There's no, uh, there's no swimming pool like that at, at any of the training facilities now even. And I've been to them all. I've been to Manchester City's, Tottenham's, Chelsea's, obviously I worked at um, Liverpool's. I've seen all of the new training facilities that have come up and, uh, you know, two, 2001, 2002, that building was built. It's still... It's still a very functional building, so I was quite proud of that. Oh, I mean, over the over the years, it's been one of the massive draws that we've had over other clubs, particularly you know in the championship. It's been it's been a thing that players from across Europe have gone. Okay, you get to Thorpe Parks, you go right. This is where I want to be. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. Do you know Do you know the timing of Dave coming as well when he got the job? Um, I think if Dave had been there from when I signed in 1999-2000, I probably wouldn't have passed my medical because I, he was just taught about a legend of the football club, Alan Sutton. I remember going with Alan Sutton um, to do my medical to see the doctor. And basically it was a little blood a little blood sample at the end of your finger and a reflexology test on me, like a reflex test on my knee so that they just literally hit a hammer off my knee to see if my knee would move. And I thought, this is absolutely brilliant. This is, I'm expecting to do like fitness tests, body fats, nothing. You would have certainly failed at body fat, Bridgie. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> For a, I was probably the skinniest fat man that ever was at Leeds. The, um, the, the thing about the following year, when Dave, was there I witnessed um, the first signing that came up who would have been your first signing Dave your first medical I remember doing Rio signing and I remember well we'll not talk about him on this podcast <laughs> no, we can avoid it yeah, yeah. sorry yeah, yeah. So we'll body swear of that one he <laughs> was terrible really unfit worst yeah. medical you know maybe it was Don Matteo maybe it was Don it could, ah, it could have been, you know. Oh, that's a better one. But I remember seeing all these bloody oxygen tanks on him. He had this that's mask right. on. Dave was telling him to run faster. And he was going, can you move and run faster, mate, if you want to get through this? <laughs> and then he, he put him through He put him through this drill to give him a stretch, a stretch and, like, test. And he, he might as well, if it was MMA fighting, Dom would have tapped out. Dave had him in these positions to see if he could pass. And I'm thinking, thank God I signed the air earlier. But the timing of us all getting injured and having a new facility with this high-end physio that we'd never seen before. I think we've got to, a lot of the players have got to be very, very grateful that there's a place to be there and we want a great run. But there's also a time and a place when things happen that we might not have had the career that we would have had if we didn't have this man in charge of our um, high-end facility. Do you feel a degree of pressure with that, Dave? I mean, like the, the club at that time, and obviously that's how football's gone now, but the club was spending an awful lot of money on some of these players. Do you feel a degree of pressure that you've got to make sure that they're going to get bang for their buck? Like that they're not buying a, 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 knackered, a knackered player or the player's not going to break down after a few weeks? Do you, do you feel in that medical, you've got to make sure you put them through their paces? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, even then, like we would sign in players to like world record fees 
back then. Yeah. So, you know, the view is spending that sort of money, you've got to make sure that, you know, the player that you're signing is, you know, completely fit and able to do what they do. And we've seen like, you know, unfortunately, Eden Hazard just in the news recently about retiring, you know, that, you know, he signed, went from Chelsea to, to Madrid and they got nothing out of him and they spent a hundred million dollars on his rights and plus his wages. I mean, it's a lot of money. So, you, my view would be that, you know, we've got this one opportunity to do some baseline testing as well. So the things that Michael talking about, you know, back then was sort of more sports science led lab based testing, seeing how fit they are, looking at all the cardio issues that can appear within doing medicals, making sure that their heart and lungs are cleared, having some baseline strength tests that we could use if there was an injury. So we were collecting a, a lot of objective data and also dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And my view would be, I said to the manager and the chairman at the time that, you know, if this is going to take two days, it's going to take two days. You've just got to give me two days to do, let me do my job and I'll present to you all the data and all the information. And then the decision is yours. But, you know, if someone is going to fail, someone's going to fail. Dave, how did they handle that situation when you told them that? Because obviously I'd been there and seen a lot of players come in the medical. I think my medical was about 45 minutes. Um, what was their take on that? If you're telling them it's going to take two and a half to three days now to get a signing over the line. Well, did that go down well with them? No, not really. Because a lot of the time, <laughs> a lot of the time you got pressures from agents and people wanting to get the deal or transfer deadlines. But you know, look, if, you, if you're going to do anything in life, let's say, for instance, you're going to buy a business, you're going to do your due diligence on the business. You're not just going to turn around and go, oh, it looks good. I'm going to buy it. Why would we do anything different with signing players? So, you know, my view would be, if you want me to do the right job, you've got to give me the time to do the right job. If you don't, then it's on you. It's nothing to do with me. My conscience is clear. And that's really the attitude that I had and I've sort of always had when, when it sort of came to doing medicals. And then obviously as times progress now with the Premier League and having full-time doctors, you know, most of this is led from a doctor um, perspective. The physio is sort of more of an add-on, but it, it, it's the same principles that you need to make sure that you're collecting and reviewing and making sure that you're, you know, looking at the risk management of that athlete to move forward for, you know, three, four, five, or in now even six or seven year deals that they're giving athletes. And what happens when, when an athlete fails and, and, and fails under your, I guess it's your, your quota really, you're the one that decides whether they pass or fail. What's that? I'm obviously we're not going to name any names. We'll save that for later on. We'll get plenty of names between you and Germ later on. But um, for like <laughs> players that have, um, that have failed uh, medicals, how, how difficult is that? Do you discuss with the player first? Do you go straight to the manager? No, like you're employed by the club. So, you right. know, that's the discussion for, for you, the manager, the chairman, the board, whoever you're dealing with, the club secretary, and then the decision's up to them. If You know, I've had situations earlier on in the career where you'd failed someone and they still signed the player. Really? But, yeah. But, I mean, you know, that's in the 90s. I don't think that would necessarily happen to this day and age because of the amount of money that's involved. But it, it's happened. So, you know, my view is, like I said, you can, you can do your job and then it's up to someone else to make sure that they're doing their job and use the information you give them to make a, a conscious decision. And sometimes it can be used as a negotiation tactic. You know, if, if someone's got a degenerative knee or ankle or something that you find that could be risk, then, you know, you might look at 
repackaging their contract. But again, that's not nothing to do with us. That's purely to do with the right. people. We can just do our job and let someone else do theirs. I'll tell you another one. Um, Dave's just said uh, uh, there. You you were talking about being a young physio at the age of twenty seven coming into Premier League, right? Can Matt, just to give you an idea of we as players, and we had a right good group of players. We used to think we could get away with anything. So we're like a pack of wolves. So you get a new guy coming in, right? He's up from London. He's he's given it. I'm bloody Dave Hancock, and I'm here and all this, right? <laughs> and he's turned up. The amount of stick that we used to try and put on this guy to test him because he looks so young, and we're thinking, what 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 the hell can he what the hell can he do for us? So mate, how how were them first few months uh, when you when you came? How did you find find us lot at the time? Well, I'm not allowed to swear on this podcast but you let, can't no, be you we'll can. just bleep it you out <laughs> that was a f- nightmare <laughs> <laughs> we give you some i stick. remember I, I remember walking in i remember seeing batty's uh photos <laughs> for his achilles rupture and how they've had to reconstruct his achilles and i'm looking at it, i'm thinking i'm not even sure this guy's going to be able to walk let alone play professional <laughs> football right and then it was like something out of mash. I walked in and there was like 10 players in this tiny, there was a tiny room. Tiny little physio room, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, oh my God, like what have I done here? You know, but my view is, look, I, you know, I just had to get my head down and work with the team and bring the people that were already there that I inherited, which were fantastic people, fantastic uh, team we had. And we also, the, the beauty of having the long-term injuries like the Batties and, and Michael and, you know, a few of the others was that we had such great camaraderie and putting some laughs and some fun into the daily activities that we were doing was just like kept everyone going. I remember we used to, um, I used to drive in in the morning. I, I used to live down in uh, Methley and uh, I used to drive in and Jason Wilcox used to come across the Pennines every day. And he would leave messages on our phones where he would do impressions of us from the day before, right? Because he was clearly bored driving across the M62. And uh, it was just like the, the laughs and the, the camaraderie that we had with everyone. We just, it was one of those, you know, and obviously I, I, I moved to different clubs and, you know, won a few things with the, the other clubs that I went to. But there's, there was nothing better than that team at Leeds United at that time. Right. I look back at it and just was like, even just doing this. And then we're on a group chat, uh, all the ex players and myself, um, and just some of the banter that goes on in that group chat. Just like being back in the physio room with you, isn't it? The same, same yeah, crap. It was. Because I remember Dave came in and we, when he says we came in, it was like a scene from MASH. These new guys walked in, we're all, there was, I think there was four beds in that physio department um, at the time. And there'd be people just sitting on the benches, they'd be on their mobile phones and newspapers out. And in came Mr. Hierarch and he was like, right, the bloody pipers can go, the marble phones can fuck off. None of this now, you're going to work. So what we used to do, we used to hide a mobile phone in there and just ring it and send the ringtone off. And you could just see this guy burning going, who's found his ringing <laughs> we're like find the phone just just little stupid things like that to wind and irritate dave up used to love but it matt i used to get my own back because we we used to do a thing called a 20 20 20 oh right gosh. so my view my view was that these players when i first went in they were leaving at one o'clock and i'm like right. no you're injured you're here all day i'm here all day you're here all day and your job and my job is to get you fit so we used to call it nine to five 
And it was literally nine to five. Sometimes it was nine till nine. <laughs> you used to come to my clinic sometimes, didn't you? Remember that? You used to come to the clinic at Virgin Active in Leeds, uh, oh. like for late night treatment. Hilarious. But to be fair, you know, every every <laughs> every footballer wants to get themselves, they don't want to be in the treatment room. They want to get themselves back and right. fit. But this was a regiment that I'd worked for me. You know, at the end of the day, what you put into it is what you get out of it. Right. So we used to do an hour and a half treatment and then an hour and a half or an hour cardio. And then in the afternoon, we do an hour and a half treatment and then another hour of cardio. And that's how the day was structured. Okay. Um, and then part of that cardio was a 20, 20, 20. So they would do 20 minutes bike, 20 minutes elliptical, 20 minutes boxing or 20 minutes weights or whatever it would be. And then we really got into boxing. So at the old Thorpe Arch, there was a, a, a courtyard. So in the afternoons, we had boxing sessions, yeah. right? Where, you know, like Bridgie, if he was on in a plaster cast, he'd be kneeling boxing. <laughs> There'd be no way that they'd get out of doing the boxing yeah. session. But one of the beauties of doing that, right, was that when the players came back, they didn't have to spend a week or two weeks of trying to get fit. These guys were actually right. really fit. We were fitter than the lads that were training. Yeah. And if I look at people like Dave Batty, David Batty, one of the things I think that helped Dave get back into what he did was that that his fitness was so good it didn't take him much long to get football fit because we were doing anaerobic type stuff like boxing we were doing stuff in the pools where we we would do like you know sprints underwater we were doing all sorts of stuff to maintain <laughs> or improve the fitness <laughs> of the players and they used to hate it do you know why bat was so fit because bats didn't this is here's something for you matt bats didn't actually like training he didn't like football he was just damn good at football and he was an animal. But as soon as Dave came in, he saw the military training that we were doing. Bats, Bats was thinking, this is how what I wanted to be. I can just, I'm in the water, I'm doing boxing lessons, I can punch people. He, you could just see he got so excited about this kind of stuff. And he he he, he inspired us younger lads because of his mannerisms in when when he set about training. Um, you know what I mean? But like I say, to, to think that somebody had been in Bats' situation that preferred that side of it than the football side of it training. But as soon as game day come, that was him and his zone. I was going to ask about about David Batty through that that perspective, actually, because let's say someone of a, a prickly demeanour, perhaps, um, and I don't imagine he enjoyed very much being on a treatment table. So, like, is this the kind of stuff that you did to try and engage players into doing stuff that otherwise they just didn't, you know, I imagine a lot of players were lacking in motivations, whether psychologically or just they just didn't want to be there. Like, was there was a lot of stuff you had to do to, to try and get them motivated to, to rehab. Can I just say one thing before you answer that, Dave? Another thing personally for me, I think if I hadn't been in 9 till 5 or going in with Dave to his clinics after work, going home at 1 o'clock through the situation that I'd been in, mentally that could have been very dangerous for me, sitting in a house, not being able to physically get up and do things. So for that side of it, for me, I'm very grateful that he changed my mindset on that side of it because I could have been a really, really dangerous place. I've dealt with some players that have obviously gone through those mental aspects um, in both in football uh, and in basketball and in other American sports over here, um, you know, it, it's a real thing. I think the thing with with all of this is that 
when you're in a group setting, rather than like Michael says, if you go home by yourself and you know you you, you don't know what you're doing, you're thinking about your injury and you're thinking about you know is my my career all the negative thoughts that come about. We did something different every single day. So in the treatment room, for instance, Suddy had this book, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? And it was an ongoing joke that we would ask the players on both sides of the treatment room a million-dollar question, right? So you can imagine asking Jonathan Woodgate a million-dollar who wants to <laughs> millionaire. Who's got the IQ of 10? We would have been there till Christmas in two, 2032 waiting for the answer for that. <laughs> So, like us laughing like this now, well, you can imagine what this was like in a treatment room while we're all doing our job. So, and and every day, every day we had stuff like this going on, and then we would have the training. I mean, like you know, I remember someone clocked me on the boxing once, and everyone turned around, stopped, and just started pissing themselves laughing. And obviously, I couldn't do anything else apart from just laugh and laugh at the situation that one yeah. of the players had just hit me yeah probably did it on purpose but you know i, I take it on the chin he won 50 quid for that <laughs> <laughs> so i think that from a, a mental perspective and being really positive about the outlook and just bringing it in as a team and it, like everyone's dealing with their own situations but when you're in that environment you can create that competition so we're like for instance on a friday we used to do crab crab uh, volleyball so we would have staff versus players at lunchtime and the losers i mean you probably could do this now but the losers had to bring in cream cakes the next day right that was the that was the deal that they'd bring in a cream cake on a friday Oh, Bridgie, you must have lost all time. Yeah, you, I, 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 that, that was my motivation to win. <laughs> I think he's still playing crab football now by the looks of it. <laughs> so just explain to everyone at home crab football. So basically a, cr- a crab volleyball. It's basically volleyball, but you're, crab yeah, volleyball. you're sat on your butt. So if you've got an injured knee or an injured ankle, you can still volleyball the ball. And it was just things like that that we did, you know, it, there was so much variety. Like we played water polo. We, we we just mixed things up. And did you just come up with all this stuff then? Well, it wasn't just me. It was like the team. Um, and I think because right. we put a structure in place and we knew that we had to do an hour of cardio, you know, that was relevant, we came up with more and more ideas. And because we had so many injured players at that point in time, we had to do we had to do this both from a mental and from a physical perspective that people would be involved. I remember one time, <laughs> so I was a rugby player and uh, I played rugby for you. Believe it or not, a Cockney playing rugby for Yorkshire. I did play rugby for Yorkshire when I was young, and um, I went to a gym in Headingley called Adam Machel's gym. And I used to do circuit training at Adams and I used to play for old Leah Denzians when I basically wasn't working at the football club. And one day I decided that this was a proper old sawdust weight room. And we would get on a bike from Thorpe Arch and we would cycle to Adams gym. And then Harry Kuehl and uh, I think it was Wesley Boyle would meet us at the gym. We'd put the bikes in the back of the car and we would basically drive back. But this bike ride was like full. I mean, you wouldn't do this any. You, you know, this wouldn't happen nowadays. But we we did a fourteen mile bike ride in this pouring rain, and I ended up losing all the players. I remember it was Bats. It was Bats, Jason Wilcox, and uh, Huckabee, and I went off like a lunatic, 
And then by about mile three, I'd blown up on the on the tour to Hancock, and uh, the three of them just passed me. And then I lost them, and then I didn't know where I was going. So it's things like that. And then we went to this old sawdust gym, and Adam's there, and he's cooking us like chicken on his little cooking stove. And it was things like that that I look back and just think, you know, that 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 is just such a different day. Dave, I've got a confession all these years later. Yeah. There was one. I remember that when the lads went off for you and did that. I did my cycle with Mark Nile um, and Jace Wilcox. And I've got to say, I'm dropping Jace on the bus here. We actually jumped on a bus. We lost Mark deliberately and jumped on a bus. <laughs> uh, and and got, a, got a bus journey back near Thorpe Arch. <laughs> oh. Uh, there you go, because there wow. were some long, horrible bike rides. Bats and Wilcox told me that they were in Round Hay and they were at a pub. Yeah. And they said they'd had two pints before they come into the gym. Absolutely. And I can probably believe them, to be honest, uh, as well. Yeah. yeah so you've just you've just admitted that Johnny Woodgate was probably the thickest footballer you've ever come across because obviously his IQ and all these uh, million-dollar questions. My one for you is, who's the worst patient that you had at Leeds United with that group of players, or in, in general? Doobs was problematic to say the least <laughs> problematic that's such a diplomatic uh, word it was to problematic use as a roommate we used to call dube 50 pence head because whenever he whenever he <laughs> headed the ball we weren't sure where it was actually going to go i remember when we went up to the new training facility he him and gary kelly brought in a fish and they put it in the ceiling <laughs> Because they just wanted to get Sorry, their own back. Uh, yeah, this is, I mean... Hang on. I'm going to have to rewind there a they second. They brought a dead fish into the training <laughs> okay. room and they put it in the tiles in the ceiling and we got this stink and we could they wouldn't tell us where it was, right? So for, for a week, we had a dead fish somewhere in the ceiling. I mean, this, you know, this is like the Neanderthal that I was dealing with on a, on a regular, regular yeah, basis. Yeah. But so, um, yeah. and Dubes always want to have like a four hour discussion about why we're doing X and Y and that he didn't really need to box and go in the pool and that. Although I do remember, to be fair to Dubes, he, uh, we went to a pool once uh, before we had that. Um, I remember this, Mike, you won't, you, you probably don't, weren't there at this session. But we went to a swimming pool before we had the swimming pool at the Thor Parch. We went to a swimming pool somewhere in Tadcaster, and Dubes was injured. And I remember, you know, the old brick where you put it down, you had to swim down and get the mm -hmm. brick. So we were doing that. We yeah. you'd swim down, get the brick, put the brick above your head, right, Tread and water. drop it. And we were doing we were doing like relays in the deep. And I remember, obviously, Dubes. I don't think Dubes could swim that well. And he did say to me, and to be fair to Dubes, he he went, he, he tried. He went out of his way to try. Right. He picked up this brick, and it, and then when he let it go, it dropped on his head, <laughs> right. And all of a sudden, it went under the water. And I remember, I dived in, right. I'm on the sidelines, thinking, oh my god, I've just like one of the players at Leeds United is going to drown, just drowned, gonna drown in the in Tadcaster pool. Um, so, <laughs> didn't do course, much damage to him like you you, you <laughs> so, yeah I, i'm not sure which way the brick bounced off his head on that one oh, sorry dudes oh. i do remember that time so uh i i did love dudes i must admit and i'm actually really proud of dudes um from what he's actually doing now with his career um in motivational speaking and talking about his experiences as a footballer uh i think it's really admirable what with what he's actually doing since he's left football so yeah Do doobs and gaz were very uh 
Although Gaz was never really injured that much. Gaz Kelly just came in for the crack, you know. He was never he was wasn't yeah, injured, he Matt, but oh, because Gaz. he missed out on all the pranks, I you know what I mean? Gaz. He he loved it. So the other thing we started doing at the training ground was um the lads every time you were the it was the original ice bucket challenge. So you'd go, you'd get yourself prepared to go for number two, you'd sit in the toilet, you'd get yourself prepared, you had the newspaper, and you're just sitting there with the newspaper, <laughs> just as you do, as you just do. relaxing yeah. and um trying to hide from Dave to get like 20 minutes of freedom. And all of a sudden, right. you just get this big ice bucket poured over the top of the toilet door and just drench you. And it was just, it became like the ongoing thing. You couldn't go for a toilet. You had to sneak to other toilets around the facilities because you knew something was going to happen. It was blooming Gary Kelly that started all this. He just loved doing stupid pranks, which just seemed to stick. So he would come into the treatment table just to just for the banter, not the treatment. Did you play <laughs> in that game where they did pass the penny? No, I didn't. But Robbie Fowler brought that in. So, Matt, this they, is incredible. They played a prem- I mean, listen, <laughs> this is obviously a few years ago. <laughs> they, they played a Premier League game. For 90 minutes. Right. You've got to set the tone. We'd lost a lot of games previously before this. Robbie said, we're going to have, we're going to play something. And I remember thinking, wow, how's this going to go down? He said, I need to take our minds off the game. So we need to play a game within the game. And then obviously the lads have gone off and this is what happened. I'm watching what's happening in the game. And all of a sudden, like, they're touching hands, like, while the game's going on. Right? So I remember running on the pitch to someone. I've, I've run on the pitch... <laughs> And all of a sudden, I think it was McPhail, and all of a sudden, Gary Kelly's come up to him and he's like, ch- shook his hand. And I'm looking at him, what's going on here? They had a penny and they're passing the penny throughout the whole game. And if they pass you the, the penny, you have to hold the penny while you're playing the game and pass it on. Then we won the game, though. There was we? all wow. these rules. We won. When the game went on five straight, I do believe. I'm not sure how many games. The lads went to five straight. No There was a rules and regulations. If you dropped the penny, you had to pay a fine. If you refused the penny, there was a fine. Whoever had the penny at half time, there was a fine. And whoever had it full time, there was a fine. The only time that you don't give it is, obviously, we go back to IQ, Johnny Woodgate, um, of none. The only time you shouldn't pass the penny is to a goalkeeper when there's a corner. Because then (laughs) Nigel's only got one hand then, hasn't he? So you can imagine thinking, Wes, what's going to happen here? Well, he's and he's, club and he's going, you've just, give, you've just give me the penny. And the quote was, you can't refuse it, can you? Because there'll be a fine. And he's like, it's a corner, you dead. Oh, well yeah, done, Johnny. Priceless. So the, the idea of this, what Robbie Fowler's great idea, this is going to, this is going to get you out of your heads. And it did. It got the lads back into yeah. the, back into um, a game mode right. because the, everybody's feeling the pressure. So he, he designed a game yeah. within a game, which I think he'd picked up at Liverpool. So incredible. Who was Gaffer at that point? Uh, that would have been O'Leary. Did he learn about this game? No, but he does now. <laughs> he does now. What did he... I don't think. I don't even. I think he. I think he's learned about a few other things on this podcast today yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. I th- I'm going to think he's been wondering why on earth he hired me and I had you. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding, Matt. Some of the things, I mean, I have to tell you, right, my disappointment was that if the financial situation hadn't happened, I actually believe we might have needed one or two additions, but I actually believe we would have probably gone on to really challenge for the title with Man United that the, the next few years. I really do. Because I've never experienced a team like that that was so together. I mean, so together. Yeah. It, was a, it was a real team and then we had like you know there was the foreign players were in so we had like Olivier Decor, Eric Backer, mm-hmm. uh, Chief, the people from other countries but it was all together 
I, I, I've never experienced anything like it in all my career, either before or after I left the club. Um, and there were some great memories. It's probably my biggest regret, Dave. You know, I was speaking, I was chatting with some um, a fan about a month ago, and I, I, I think I'd upset him initially because he'd said, oh, what a successful team you played, Bridgie. We love watching you. And I said, mate, I said, you've got to retract that. We weren't successful. I said, because we didn't win anything. I said, it's my biggest regret in football. I said, bar the, obviously the injuries and that. I said, it's my biggest regret that we made two semi-finals in Europe. We finished third after being top at, in the Premiership at Christmas after we beat Derby County. I said, so please don't use that successful. Eddie Gray's team have been successful in the past. There's been teams that have won things like Vinnie Jones and Chapman. I said, we weren't successful. We were just an unbelievable group of footballers at the time with an unbelievable, um, you know, like you say, togetherness but we weren't successful and he, he got it in the end but he was really paid off when I said it and it's my biggest biggest regret that we never um, achieved what we should have done you were uh, you mentioned the chief there um, Lucas Radaby um, I heard there's a, there's a there's a story about um, Peter Reid playing Lucas when you'd advised him no way you advised him not to <laughs> so uh, let me paint the picture we were under Peter Reid's um I think it was, was it Terry Venables and then Peter Reid? Yeah, we'd had Pe Terry oh, Venables Eddie, and then Peter Eddie Reid came in. Yeah. yeah, Peter Reid came yeah. in. And we were then, we were basically in survival mode. Players were being yeah, sold. Up against yeah, the yeah. And we yeah. basically had a run-in of games that we needed to win to survive, and to stay in the Premier League. And obviously Chief, being the legend that he is, um, was pivotal for us. And at the time, I think Don Matteo was out. We had a couple, I think Dubes was out. I think we had a couple of central defenders that were out. A week before, Lucas had taken a nasty uh, challenge in the game and damaged the ligaments in his ankle. And his ankle was was like an elephant's hoof, right? So I said to uh, Reedy that, you know, look, let's work around the clock with this guy. I'd, I'd, we'd come in in the evenings, we'd go to his house, we'd go to the clinics, we did everything we possibly can to give him as much treatment and time to see if we can get the swelling and everything out of his ankle. So really was happy with that. And obviously at the time, I think Lucas was about 34, 35, so he's a vet. Allegedly. And, uh, I think he was about 42. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we worked around the clock and we were playing Liverpool away and Michael Owen was on fire. So... I said to Reedy, I said, look, let's just do a fitness test on Saturday. He's not going to be 100% fit, but we could get him through the game. We could then shut him down again and just go by week on week. And then there was other players at that time, like Ledley King was doing a similar sort of thing at Tottenham, right? So i never forget it. We stayed at a hotel and I, I bought the balls in the morning on Saturday morning. I knocked on Reedy's door and said, right, you know, we're going to do this fitness test at 11 o'clock or 10.30. The doctor came out, Reedy came out, and Lucas, and I'm taped his ankle, mowed his ankle. I've been spending about an hour getting this ankle really loose, taped it, like put this huge tape job around it to secure it. And I started just passing some balls, and Lucas is like hobbling. <laughs> he's hobbling around, right? So I think, right, all right, give him another 10 minutes, right? And he's He's sort of moving a little bit better. but And then I'm doing one-on-ones, me. I'm doing run, the rugby player. I'm doing one-on-ones with Lucas. <laughs> I'm megging him. I'm sidestepping him. I'm walking past him. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, he's up against Michael Owen, right? 
So then I'm like, let's give him another 10 minutes. This is the chief. So now we're 40 minutes into this fitness this fitness test. And all these cars are passing us by on this little piece of grass, right, at the side of the, the hotel on this free, on this carriageway. Um, and they're all bibbing the horn because they can see who it is, right? So all of a sudden, I look at Reedy and I look at the dock and I'm, I'm sort of shook my head. I'm like, Chief, you can't move, bud. I mean, look, you're giving it a go, but there's no way you can do this, right? And I look at Reedy, I said, I mean, this is, this is just so much of a risk. There's no way he's past this, okay? So Reedy says to me, he said, give me two minutes. And he goes over and puts his arm around Lucas and they walk off, Okay. So he's talking to Lucas one-on-one -on -one, and all of a sudden Reedy walks past me and he goes, he's playing. And I look at, I said, gaffer, I said, like, that's, that's just so much of a risk. I said that, you know, like, right. he's like, he's playing and he just ignored me and walked off. I looked at the doc and went, doc, and of course, doc, typical doc, he's just sitting on the fence, like, you know, well, you know, uh. so I was fuming. I was like, oh, my God. Like, the mad dog in me came out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got a duty of care as well, right? Of course, right? yeah. And I said to Lucas, and Lucas like, oh, okay, you know, I think I can do it. And I'm like, oh, you're against Michael Owen, right? <laughs> so I'll never forget it, right? And obviously, remember, I'm still quite young, um, and I learned a really good lesson at this game. So I'm sat, and I'm in a mood, and I'm like, sat at the front of the bus, and I'm like, thinking, oh, my God, this guy, you know, Luke is going to be 10 minutes, he's going to be off. They're going to ask, the, the board's going to be asking, why did you let him play? You know, fans are going to go, ridiculous, we could be one or two nil down. Well, you think that you'll minutes. get out of jail free card after the game when you get Correct. Christy, yeah, 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 yeah. So we're at Anfield, right? <laughs> so I tape his ankle and mow his ankle like that, and I just sat on the bench, and I literally just watched him and I prayed. He was unbelievable. <laughs> He was man of the match, Matt. He had Michael Owen in his back pocket throughout the whole game. I'm watching this guy going, how the f*** is he doing this, <laughs> right? I'm looking at it, right? And I think we drew the game at a Liverpool way. And we've got to remember, we weren't the leads before. We were in survival mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm, I'm looking at him going like, and I remember I took off the tape and his, his ankle just like tripled in size. It just went, right? And... On the bus, I remember sitting on the bus and everyone's like really happy and like, uh, uh, you know, because we, we've got a point and we needed every point. And Rudy comes past me and he said, see your son, leave the medicals to me. Right? <laughs> I remember walking past. <laughs> but I learned a good lesson because I thought, you know what, you can only do so much. And at the end of the day, yeah. like we were talking about doing the, the actual medicals, you can give your advice and your opinion, and sometimes that might be right, and sometimes it might be wrong. And in this case, I was clearly wrong. But you can just give them the information, to, and they've got to make the decisions, and that's why they get paid the big money. But uh, Lucas, for me, and I, I, I'll show you something here quickly, right? This is how much of a legend this guy is. His career at Leeds is coming to an end, and he had an opportunity to go and play in the 2002 World Cup, I think, in Korea. And he had, we needed to get surgery on his knee for a meniscus. And we had like two and a half weeks to get him turned around. And South Africa had qualified for the World Cup. So we worked around the clock for him. He wasn't going to do anything for Leeds. He wasn't playing. He wasn't selected. But to get him to play in this World Cup. Anyway, the team did shifts. We worked with him. You know, we, we went to Lucas's wedding. Like the guy for me is the uh, an absolute epitome of what an athlete should be and the caring nature of someone to appreciate the people that work around them. And not all of them do, especially the modern day ones, but 
Chief for me is the epitome of the ultimate athlete. So we got him fit. He played in the in the World Cup. And when he came back, it was the last year of his contract. I think it was when they had his testimonial. And he gave me his World Cup shirt where he scored to qualify. And I said, Lucas, I can't take that from you. That's your shirt, right? No, no, no. I want you to have it. He used to call me the Juju Man, which was the witch doctor, right? So it had to, to Juju Man. And I said, I can't take it. And he said, he insisted, insisted. They don't make many like Chief you, anymore. You know when somebody's having, you say to Lucas, when you've got the weekend off, or you had a gate like a, a week off, and some of the lads went on international duty, and the rest of us were left. And you're saying to Lucas, "Do you want to, do you want to do anything this weekend, mate? Do you want to have a get together?" Oh no, no, I'm going back to South Africa. I'm just having a barbecue with uh, Mandela. You're like, "Oh, whoa, no problems. You do what you've got to do." But he, he just absolutely an incredible geezer, and to think that he's done that for you. I, I never knew that story, dear. That's absolutely yeah. beautiful, man. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, over over the years, you must have, you know, you've you've helped countless uh, players. I mean, not just at Leeds. I mean, all all over. The player. I mean, there are any apart from apart from Lucas that that kind of jump out to you as players that maybe wouldn't have made it honestly without 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 your rehab techniques and whatnot, or just players that you just really enjoyed working with. I, I wouldn't say that they wouldn't have made it without my help. I mean, like that's Bridgie yeah. does say that by the way. <laughs> Bridgie does attribute his that's, career that's, to you. Yeah, that's very very nice of Mike to be honest. But I, I, you know, at the end of the day, he's the one who had to put in the work, and then. You know, you have to have good surgeons and you have to have a good team. And, you know, the clubs that I've worked at, even uh, the England national team, Chelsea, the Knicks, like I've come across some incredible people that I've worked with and been very fortunate to work with. And it's more of the team approach than just sort of one individual. My view is always to smile and, you know, take the piss out of yourself um, and be not too serious about what you do, especially when you're dealing with athletes, right? Because they're going through a lot mentally, physically, their careers are on the line. They don't want to be with you. They want to do the thing that they love, which is play the sport that, that they've been successful at. Whether it's an American footballer or basketball player or, or, or I'm going to say soccer here. I've been in America too long. Sorry, guys. That journey or be part of that journey with them has, you know, it for me is a great thing that we were able to do as physios. And that's the thing that I love. And some of those journeys, I remember, for instance, um, Champions League final when I was at Chelsea and Ashley Cole in the warm-up in Moscow, the night before the game, Claude McAuley went through him and completely rocked his ankle and damaged his ligaments. And because you've got thousands of press, this is the Champions League final, you've got thousands of press around. You basically want to make out to the opposition that there's not an issue, right? So we sort of hit it, but... I had to work with all through the night because his ankle was damaged his ligaments, right? And we weren't sure if he was going to play in the Champions League final. And I remember Ashley fell asleep on the treatment bed. He slept the whole of the night before the Champions League final on the treatment bed. Then we had to, then we had to take him in the pool and do some bits and pieces with him in the pool to get the ankle moving. And then I had to do a fitness test in the corridor, the Ritz-Carlton at Moscow. And then he played 90 minutes and he played extra time and he scored a penalty. And for me, like that relationship of being able to help someone like that in a situation like he was in to this day, like I even was texting Ashley today to wish him all the best with the Birmingham job. You know, we're sort of friends for life, if you like. And that's the, that's the beauty of what I love about this. And then the beauty of those Leeds players and the relationships that we had with those Leeds players, like we talk and I still keep in contact with a lot of those players and we're still on group chats. And this is, you know, 20 years ago. 
And that for me is sort of uh, you know beyond the job. It's more of the the friendship, and that's the that's the thing that I love. I've always loved to help people and get satisfaction with actually trying to help someone, and that's the thing that I think is really. When I look back at my career, where well, I've been like more, most lucky and privileged to be able to work with people like Michael and, and athletes like Ashley. Just to give the listeners something of an idea of how humble Dave is, Dave, do you mind talking if there's if you if if you want to about taking a pay cut so you didn't have to sack members <laughs> of staff in two thousand and four, mate? I know I know you had a Porsche with physio as your registration plate, but we'll not go there. We'll not mention that because that's when they, you know, we when we saw a physio rock up for the first time with a Porsche and he had the registration physio, we went, whoa, that'll do me. What are we getting here? So we decided to pay him a valuable lesson and moved his car and drove his car like into three fields away just to prove a point to him to say, you know, don't come here, Billy Big. Um, but yeah, talk us through that, that pay cut situation. Like, what was that, mate? Just so you can, you know, just there's not many people would do that. So um, obviously, you know, I got approached and Premier League team and etc. And, you know, they the contract was really good for me. And then two or three years later, when it went into, they were talking about, you know, administration, receivership even, one day they said to us that, you know, Thorpe Arch, take everything out of your office because they might put the padlocks on Thorpe Arch and um, all your stuff, that all possessions that will be in your office will be gone. You, you won't be able to get into the building. So it was sort of desperate, desperate times. And then they said to me that, you know, you got a sack a member of staff, you've got to reduce your staff load. And I said, well, I don't really want to do that. And they went, well, you have to, because this is the situation we're in. So what I did was I said, I, I said to them, how much do you need to save? And they came up with the, the number. And then I said, look, what about if I take like quite a large pay cut and I'd speak to some of the other staff with a view that we would be able to keep us all together and that's what we were able to do. And we were able to keep our little team together um, because I knew that the person that would be let go, you know, it would have destroyed them uh, and how long they'd been at the club and everything else. So my view is that that was the only right thing situation to do. And I love being at the club. Well, our chat with Dave uh, ran over a little longer than we anticipated, um, but there's such good stuff in here and it's been such a great guest. We thought rather than just cut it, why don't we just split it into two episodes? So we're going to take a break here and you can join us again shortly for part two. See you soon. We are-